pouring from the dunes now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences informed me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the incandescent Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, and uh, happy New Year to everyone. Absolutely, this is our first podcast of 2014. Also, subtitled "The Year of the Fire and Water." I just put it out there. <laughs> okay. It is. So, did you have a good a good holiday season? Uh, yes. Yes, I did. It's some nice time off, which was good. I mean, I like my job, so it's not that, not that bad being at work, but it's always nice to have some time off as well. Absolutely. I, I didn't get a lot of time off myself because I started a new job relatively recently, but uh, the time that I did, I maximized it and uh, had lots of family time, lots of geek time. I did a Doctor Who Christmas special marathon right before uh, the Christmas special came out. And uh, it was real good, good stuff. Did you so. sit there and wallow in your own filth, refusing to bathe? Did you want to miss anything? Uh, they were on Netflix, and <laughs> I could just pause them. So <laughs> I bathed and showered and everything. Some people <laughs> I, are more dedicated than others. It's all okay. I, I ate a lot of Jamie Dodgers while I was doing it. I uh, which no is references lost on you, but somebody <laughs> in the audience would ah. So anyway, well, folks, this is a big deal. Not, again, not only the beginning of our the, our the 2014, the year of fire and water, but it is also <laughs> the very first issue we are covering today. The very first issue of Aquaman done by Mr. Jeff Parker. Yay! Yay! And uh, then we're also going to cover a fantastic issue of Fury of Firestorm, uh, Nuclear Man Classic. So we are excited about this. Before we jump in, though, uh, we want to give a shout-out to our sponsors. And, folks, this episode of the Fire & Water Podcast is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Now, Rob, what you got there? Uh, I'm gonna this this week. I picked a book that I've actually read, so I can verify that it's actually really good. It's you from, can't it's, you can't read. It's from 
<laughs> uh, my secret chain. Uh, it's from Tomorrow's. It's Lou Scheimer creating the Filmation Generation. And <laughs> written by the man himself, Lou Scheimer, with assistance by Andy Mangles. Everyone remembers who that is. Anyway, it says, I'll give you the brief priestess here. Hailed as one of the fathers of Saturday morning television, Lou Scheimer was the co-founder of Filmation Studios, which over 25 years provided animated excitement for TV and film from the first DC cartoons, Aquaman, and the Emmy-winning <laughs> Star Trek, the animated series, the syndica- to the syndicated explosion with He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Scheimer tells the entire story to best-selling author Andy Mangles, including memories of the comics of the Golden Age, schooling with Andy Warhol, and what it, what it meant to lead the last all-American animation company through nearly 30 years of innovation and fun, profusely illustrated with photos, model sheets, storyboards, presentation art, looks at rare and unproduced series, and more. Uh, this book is 224 pages. It's in black and white and color. Uh, the normal price is $29.95. Instruct rates has it for $23.96. That is 20% off. Um, I got this book for a friend. Uh, for Christmas, and because I bought him the print version, it comes with a free digital copy, so I read the digital copy. Uh-huh. And it's a really fun book. I mean, obviously, Filmation was the first company to ever put Aquaman in anything outside of a comic book. So uh, I love the Aquaman Filmation series, and I grew up with Filmation. So this is this was a really, really fun book. And Lou Scheimer, who just passed away a couple of months ago, uh, had some wonderful stories to tell. So it's it's a really, really fun book. Dude, that... I'm just I'm sitting here with this goofy ass smile plastered on my face, listening to you read that description. Just I'm living, reliving all those wonderful filmation cartoons. Yeah, I love those in my head. Stuff, yeah. I, if I remember, it wasn't um, there was a particular block I used to watch of uh, Lone Ranger, Zorro, and Tarzan. Uh, and Tarzan wasn't that was filmation. That was right? filmation. Yep, oh, and, they, yeah. and they did the Batman cartoon in the '70s with Batmite and, and. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah filmation was. You know, they were one of the guys, one of the big guys. So. Great book. Great. Really a lot of fun. I think I'm going to have to pick that up now. Uh, I picked something a little more traditional superhero fare because, you know, in, Fi- in Firestorm Classic, if you remember from last issue, he's fighting uh, the Pied Piper. So I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going for a Pied Piper thing. Well, I can only find one trade paperback on in-stock trades that had Pied Piper, and it happens to be Flash, written by Aquaman's former writer, Jeff Johns. So I picked out Flash Rogue War, trade paperback. This is a really interesting story in that it has basically two different factions of the Flash rogues battling each other. And some of it has to do with recovering Captain Boomerang's corpse. Uh, anyway, it's, so there's a little bit of, you know, morbid side to that. But it's <laughs> fun for the whole family. Right, exactly. Bring the kids. Anyway, you get one side with the original Trickster and Pie Piper and Heatwave and Mag- uh, Magne- I can never say her name, Magenta. Is it magenta? I guess magenta. it's just magenta. Magenta. I always think it's magneta. Anyway, whatever. And, you know, they're battling Captain Cold and Weather Wizard and the top and Murmur and the new trickster. So, anyway, it's, it's neat. It's great stuff. Written by Jeff Johns. Art by Howard Porter. Uh, Justino. Kevin Cummings. Uh, Peter. Sn- I can't say his name either. Snigberg. It's, it's someone lost at Scrabble with his last name. Anyway, it's 208 pages. Uh, full color. Normally retails for seventeen ninety nine. You can get it for nine dollars and eighty nine cents. That's forty five percent off. Great trade paperback. Heck of a story. Well worth it. And again, get some Pied Piper action there. And that could be misinterpreted if you know a lot about the character. So again, thank you to our sponsors. In Stock Trades uh, is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. There we have it, folks. Well, Rob, this is it. We've been talking about it, we've been hyping it, uh, we've been anticipating it, and it's finally in our hands. Aquaman number 26 by Jeff Parker and Paul Pelletier, and uh, let's do it. 
<laughs> some other people. Uh, yes, we're finally the new chapter in Aquaman's history starts here. The uh, Aquaman number twenty six. The story is titled Pressure, and as you said, it's by Jeff Parker. The art is by both Paul Pelletier and Netro Diaz, I believe. It's so hard to read that print. Anyway, Netro Diaz, and the anchors are Sean Parsons and Roy Jose. Uh, colors not by Rod Reese. Uh, by Will Quintana and... Andrew Dowhouse. Dowhouse, thank you. And this issue is, in fact, dedicated to the memory of Nick Cardi, which is a nice little thing. Now, mm-hmm. um, for any of you who listened to episode 73, where Mike Bailey guested with us when we covered the DC Comics Presents issues, we all know that Mike Bailey does a really great job uh, doing uh, the plot synopses and of any given comic book. And I do a horrible job of the plot synopses. <laughs> So, uh, because I wanted uh, this to be special, because this is Jeff's first issue, Jeff, not that, not the other Jeff, this Jeff, um, this first issue on Aquaman, I asked Mike to do the synopsis for this plot. <laughs> so, that way, uh, you don't have to wor- worry about me mumbling and forgetting things and going backwards and forwards. So, anyway, enjoy Mike giving you the plot synopsis, and then we'll join the other side. So, take it away, Mike Bailey. Deep in the northern Atlantic Ocean, a submersible codenamed Yellow 4, because we all live in a yellow submarine apparently, provides video of what could quite possibly be the remains of an ancient form of sea life. One of the shadowy men watching the video is concerned that it might be alive, but he is told that anything down there would have to be petrified and thus dead. Concerned man remains concerned, and those worries prove well-founded when the creature opens up its maw and pretty much eats the sub. In Amnesty Bay, a man named Evans asks everyone within sight if they know where Arthur Curry is, and uniformly everyone tells him that they don't know who he's talking about, which confuses him because, you know, this is Aquaman. He reports his findings to a man named Richard as his quarry is busy elsewhere. Cut to Aquaman and Mara saving a group of Atlantean geologists caught in a sudden volcanic fissure. They are grateful that Mara saved them, though there is still some tension as the people of Atlantis have their issues with her. Aquaman declares that the Science Council needs to investigate the sudden fissure and asks Mara when the next meeting is. She reminds him that it is today, as she has already told him, several times, that day. Meanwhile, at the council meeting, there is some general discontent about the new king and his frequent absences. Aquaman arrives and orders all of their scholars and engineers on lava vent duty as it could affect all of Atlantis. Koa, one of the council members, reminds Aquaman of proper meeting etiquette, and Aquaman is pretty cool with this and lets everyone that needs to leave to, well, leave. He asks Senshul K, and God, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, about what he missed, but it is a woman named Marga that gives them the real skinny on what is annoying the council. They feel Aquaman is too concerned with the surface world, and there is still some resentment that Mera is his consort. Suddenly, an alarm goes off, and at first, Arthur thinks it has something to do with the trench and Amnesty Bay. Kai informs him that there is something up in Iceland. Aquaman has Mera try out a new technique called the Pressure Launch, which uses Mera's power to basically throw Aquaman where he needs to go in a short amount of time. There are some jokes about Superman in here as well. He arrives just in time to see an enormous sea creature tearing up Reykjavik, Iceland. The Air Force... Some Air Force, as guys in planes, try to blow the creature away, but that fails. Aquaman turns his fall into the biggest punch he has ever thrown, and it doesn't have much of an effect either. Mera summons the Council so they can help Aquaman. 
They recognize the creature as the Karakin, a protector of their realm that answers to the royal family. A high-speed nautiloid is ordered to assist the king, and Mera is pretty upfront about the fact that she's going to be riding in it. Aquaman's continued attacks fail, and he finally decides to use his whoop-whoop-whoop-whoop-whoop power to control the creature. Things really don't go as planned, though, and Aquaman appears to be having one of the most awesome acid trips ever. Mera asks if he's made contact with the creature, and Aquaman informs her that he is not there at the moment. He is... somewhere else. Next, Monsters and Monarchs. All right, Mike, thank you so much for that uh, wonderful synopsis of the plot. And now we are free to just, you know, for me, relay my thoughts about the book as it getting bogged down in the, uh, the plot details. Now, now, hold on just a minute here. <laughs> I feel like Michael Bailey is sort of like sinking his hooks into our show a little too much, maybe. Like, <laughs> I, I used to have what was called the, or I guess I still own the title, of his semi-regular co-host over on Views in the Long Box. Is he trying to, like, score my gig here over here or something? I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> it will be the Fine Water Podcast with Robin Chag with Michael Bailey. I'm, uh, and I'm then just, it'll be the Fire Water Podcast with Rob and Michael Bailey. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm, I'm looking over my shoulder, and I'm not so sure I'm going to go skydiving again. To put so. this in, in comic book terms, uh, this is the late 40s, and Mike is the humor features that's slowly pushing superheroes <laughs> out of comic books. That's, that's how it's going to be. It's, 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 you are the superhero feature, and Mike is, uh, Mike or Mike is a fox and crow slowly taking over. So Lovely, lovely. So, anyway... Mike, Mike really detailed the plot, so I'll need to get into it. Um, anyway, what I thought about this issue. I liked it quite a bit. Um, I thought Jeff Parker, you know, hit the ground running or mixed your metaphors in terms of swimming or water or whatever. Uh, my favorite element of this whole book, and I'm going to get right to it, and I'm not even going to waste any time, is the giant water spout thing that Mira shoots Aquaman up into, <laughs> up into the ozone layer. And he uses the arc of the Earth to land on the other side of the planet. It is a completely ridiculous Bob Kane-esque <laughs> thing, and I loved it. It's total fun. It's total good. I would have loved to have seen Jim Aparo draw this sequence because it just fit. You know, like that one page, which is I think it's uh, – I'm not sure exactly what page it is. But the, the, the page that just shows Aquaman standing on top of the, the, uh, the whirlpool and then being shot up into the air. He's then, you know, arcing over the planet. And then lands back on top of the creature is just so much fun. I loved it. I absolutely love. I just I can't believe nobody's ever thought to do that before. Mm -hmm. uh, in you know the forty uh, some odd years of Mira being around, no one's ever fifty years of Mira being around, no one's ever thought to do that with the character and combine with Aquaman. So, and then the uh, she she did a fastball special. She did a fastball special. Absolutely, I love that. <laughs> it's great. It's so much fun. Um, and the second half of the book is just Aquaman fighting a giant sea monster. Like, there you go. You know, that's fantastic. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Now, I will say the one thing that I am dead set against, that we've been talking about this earlier, we talked about this in previous episodes, is I don't want to see Aquaman get bogged down with Atlantean bullshit. And <laughs> oh, there is there is a there's, ex there's explicit tag, yeah, folks. Yes, there is. Uh, there is one page, the one page where right after they've rescued the um, Atlantean engineers, Mm -hmm. And Mira talks about, I don't want to be that girl, but uh, the, your meeting with the uh, you know, the other members of the royal Atlantean government is right now. There's the bottom panel where Aquaman looks all sad face. Yeah. And he's like, great. Those shots of Aquaman should no longer be in this book. 
They should. They, those should absolutely not be. Did, did have you ever seen Superman or Batman look like that? Look put upon? No, you don't. They don't feel that way, and that's why those guys are considered badasses. And poor Aquaman. I don't want to see Aquaman having to put up with this Atlantean bullshit. So, but well, there's there's two things going on. First of all, when he finally gets there, he treats them as if they're plankton farmers. Did I know. You notice that? I okay. know. Yes. Um, and that's a reference to an earlier episode. If you don't get it, Love but. The but it, I starting to wonder because towards the end of the the issue, you know, the, the creature won't listen to, to Arthur. They're not listening to, you know, they only listen to royalty. Mara's on her way. Clearly, she's descended from the the original king. She's going to calm the monster down. I'm telling you, I think they're still leading to her being on the throne and freeing him up. Okay, I I, I hope so. I well now. well then, but then she's going to be locked in too. I again. It can all work. He's still king, and we got a lot of stuff this issue no, I, that we've yeah. been asking for, okay? Right. And I'm gonna ch- I got a little checklist here I'm going to go through, all right? We have been asking for Aquaman and Mera to be doing crap together. Which, right, they did here, yeah. We did. We got the volcano scene. Boom. Aquaman and Mera being heroes together. We asked for super, more superhero action. We got all kinds of superhero action in this thing. Yes. We asked for more surface world. Well, we didn't end up on the surface world. However, the the Kraken-like monster is attacking the surface world. world. Yeah, that counts. Yeah. 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 So you get that. It everything we've been asking for is in this comic. This is the comic we've been asking for. Right. And and also he can't just ignore the kingly duties. Jeff Johns put him in charge of the throne. No, I know. And, I know. and obviously Jeff Johns is I don't not an edict, but I mean he's got a plan um, that he's probably said, look. I'm doing this Justice League story in a year from now that's all about the Seven Kingdoms of Atlantis. I need Aquaman on the throne. And so they've got to sort of keep him around there for a while. They've got to keep Atlantis involved at least until that storyline's over. So it, it all works. It's fine. Okay. I said I'm like, not, not going to keep going on every month about it because obviously I've said my piece and, and there's no point in going over and over again. Just that one little panel. Just that one panel where Aquaman looks like a sad sack. I'm like, I don't want to see Aquaman as a sad sack. Well, but but I, that I, said, I don't, it's, it's one panel out of 20 pages, uh, 10 of which is him stabbing a sea monster with a trident. So that's <laughs> a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. Um, I no, uh, no Tula. I thought, this lady no Tula would be, yeah. I thought this lady named Margo would be Tula. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, I wasn't as big a fan of the art just because um, some of the stuff is clearly by Paul Peltier and some is by Metro Diaz. I wasn't that big a fan of Metro Diaz's stuff. Um, I was sad to see uh, Rod Reese not doing the colors, and I'm even sadder to learn that next issue is his last as colorist of Aquaman. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, he had a nice nice long run, but he's moving on to another project, he told me. So, um, but, you know, the book still looks very nice. And like I said, I, said, I think Paul Peltier is getting better and better and better. Um, his faces are very, I've said this before, very Alan Davis, which is a total compliment. Uh, so I am, I think this is a step in the right direction. Like I said, the 10 pages of Aquaman fighting Sea Monster, fantastic. And the whole fastball special, I want that like every other issue. <laughs> do that every other issue. So, um, you know, and like I want to see a toy of this where it's like an inflatable water spout and you can put Aquaman on it and you squeeze like a pump and it shoots him into the air. That's what I want. <laughs> so, um, Outrageous. I mean, I said, I love that. I mean, like they're talking about building a plane that can do what Aquaman did in this story, which is it goes so high up that it uses the parabolic arc of the world to yeah. land in the destination in like an hour. Like, it'll cross the Earth in an hour because it's using 
the spinning of the, the globe as part of its own movement as opposed to actually traversing that distance. We've so, never done that? I don't think so. A, like, not, I, like a passenger I, I, plane. I, I read about the. Oh, okay. I, was gonna say, I, like, I read that concept in like an Iron Man comic in the 80s, and I was like, that's brilliant. Well, there's lots of stuff in comics that we don't do yet. Um, <laughs> Where's my flying car? Yeah, I mean, you, you know, we don't have utility belts and stuff. But, uh, but no, this would be like a. Pa- well, this would be a passenger jet, they're talking. But anyway, okay. I love this bit. Like I said, I, I looked at these panels, and I just pictured Jim Aparo drawing it of, of Aquaman landing and, and smacking the crap out of the sea monster. So. A, a good start for Jeff Parker. Um, for any of you who haven't read it yet, we did do an interview with Jeff uh, that ran on Christmas Eve on the Shrine, where he talked about the, his love of Aquaman and you know where he's coming from. So uh, yeah, I'm you know I'm really looking forward to the subsequent issues of the book. And as I said I was very very happy with this one. So what do you think is going on with the cliffhanger? I they went to some weird ass alien dimension and something I don't know. Or is this another history lesson? I hope not. I hope not, too. <laughs> but it looks like it could be. Could be. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thought it was a fantastic issue. Um, like, you mentioned the art. I was going to be quiet about it, but I'll, I'll, there were some panels that I was not thrilled with. Um, none of them were during the monster fight. The monster fight was glorious. Mm-hmm. Every page was absolutely glorious. Um, there was some stuff earlier on. That just didn't rub me right. Uh, you, you called it out, so I'm just going to use it. The panel where you said he looks put upon. Yeah. Uh, there's something not right about that whole panel. I, I can't put my finger on it. It just didn't work well for me. Uh, in fact, that page is a little off for me. I, I, I don't know which artist drew it. but Well, I, um, I, I, we have to, you know, I'm not trying to be coy. I, I think it's pretty clear that those are Netro Diaz's pages. I think you can tell okay. which ones are Paul Pelletier's and which ones okay. are not. Paul Pelletier has a very distinctive Aquaman face. Gotcha. So the ones okay. that don't look like that are clearly the work of the other guy. All right. Well, I didn't mind the first few pages. The first few pages with that Kraken monster and that, that guy walking down mm-hmm. the street. And I wonder what his deal is over in Amnesty Bay. Well, I guess we'll find out. He's like an agent of some kind. Um, so, I mean, there's some, some cool stuff going on uh, with the volcano. I like that. All in all, it just um, I, I like that there were so many scenes. You get the volcano scene, a very distinct, separate little adventure. You know, it was exciting. It was short. It was, it was a kickoff. Uh, I, I always go back to the Star Trek uh, Into Darkness example where, you know, good, you know, sort of analogous with it being a volcano. The movie started with that whole volcano scene. It was a great little kickoff to the episode. This was kind of the same way. You got a cool little kickoff over there. Then you deal with the political intrigue. Then you go to the Kraken fight. It just did uh, – I felt like I wasn't just reading a lot of comics nowadays that just seemed like one conversation. You're like, it's over? That was, the one thing happened. What? So uh, I, I, I definitely feel like I got my money's worth with this. I'm glad you mentioned the page about the reporter uh, in, in Amnesty Bay. I, I forgot to mention that, and I wanted to. I like the idea, and I don't know that, that this is nef- definitely where we're going, but I think it is that the town uh, is covering for Aquaman. Like, they like That's him. what it seems like, yeah. That's what it seems like. We don't – I mean, that's what this reporter is guessing. We don't know that, but that's what it seems like. And if that is what they're doing, I love that because I've said that before. I want Aquaman to have – a base of operations the way Batman has Gotham, Superman has Metropolis, yada, yada, yada. I like the idea that the town likes him, that, like, they look at him as their superhero, and I hope that's what they're going, where Jeff is going with this, because I really love that. I think Aquaman and, and Mira need that um, as part of their sort of whole milieu, so I hope that's where we're going, and I think that's a good start. So, yeah, it's exciting. It's an exciting time for the character. Is that guy a reporter? 
Well, he's our Minnesota reporter. He's something. Was he? So yeah. Well, I just didn't know. I like I like the mystery behind it because you know he's holding a notepad, so you get the sense he's yeah. a reporter. But just the way he's acting, though, like he uses the word domicile. You know, I mean, just he something felt fishy about him. Yeah. Okay. You know, he's pretending to be a, a reporter at the very least. So. Yeah. Something. So. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, but good. But, it's a good. You know, I said it's we're off to a good start, and uh, yep. I. You know, I hope that this is a, we have that Jeff Parker settles in for a nice long run. And fine, I said I love the dedication to Nick Hardy. I think that was a nice touch. I didn't notice that until you mentioned it. That's really sweet. Yep. I'm glad. That, yep. Yeah, definitely nice. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yep. I hope that the book continues to sell very well. And uh, you know, I we read there's been, there was that article in Variety. DC is looking, and Warner Brothers is looking to do a lot with Aquaman. So you know, I had mentioned in previous episodes, and Frank took me to task for being a negative Nancy, but like. I was worried that the book was going to get canceled, but Jeff Johns left. I'm not as worried about it now. I think that DC has bigger plans for the character, and I think they're probably then going to give him more leeway. Like, even if sales dip down after this, which are inevitable because Jeff Johns is off the book, I think they're going to give him a longer, you know, they won't bail on him just because sales dip down a little. I think they look at him now, again, thanks to Jeff Johns, as one of their marquee characters. And so, therefore, he's got to be in a book every month. He's got to have his own title with his logo on it out there for people to see. So, uh, like I said, I hope we, you know, this is the, the beginning of a, of a great run for Jeff. Yep. I hope they just, like you said, they're going to keep the title around. I hope they just don't start changing up creative teams. Just They, they sometimes they get a little antsy, yep. and they'll change creative teams just to keep the book alive. I'm, hopefully they'll keep this going. Yep. I, like, like we said, we liked it. So there we go. I think, we, I think we beat the heck out of that horse how much we like it. We love this horse that we beat to death. <laughs> Wow. Uh, no. Okay. No. I'm just kidding. Um, I just, I, as you've said before, I think we've run out of uh, adjectives and superlatives. Yep. So, yeah, all right, so that's what we're going to gonna take a break. Uh, and what we're going to listen to is, I don't know if, Chad, did you, do you remember the show called Video Comics? Do you have any idea what I'm talking uh, about? It's a Nickelodeon show, okay, right? Okay, right. I just posted on the Firestorm. I forgot about that. <laughs> That's yeah. the only reason I know okay. what it is. When I was a, when I, I, was, like it, I forgot. I completely forgot I did that. When I was on when I was a kid and we got cable for the first time in our house, which was in like 81, 82, we got Nickelodeon. Nickelodeon was one of the like channels we got. And they had a show called Video Comics where you can't television. What? You can't do that on television. Yeah, the green slime falling down. Uh, video Comics was a camera that pan that that followed a DC comic, usually from the '60s, not always, but usually, sometimes from the '70s, and followed it from panel to panel with a narrator reading the comic out loud. And I, the the, the opening credits has a, a kids on their bikes to the sound of the ride of the Valkyries, and they ride to this newsstand, which is filled with DC comics, of course, no Marvels, and. They grab a comic, and then it's just read out loud for you. And when I saw this show when I was a kid, my eyes, I couldn't believe it. I just watched this thing until my eyes popped out of my head because it was just like the coolest show ever. It's like here's somebody reading a comic book out loud on television. And they didn't do like Superman and Batman. They did kind of like off-brand stuff. They did Sugar and Spike, Swamp Thing. Uh, the Elongated Man, Ultra, the Multi-Alien. I mean, like, I don't, oh. yeah, I don't know who. That's how I think first time I ever discovered that character was on the show. So anyway, the show is like completely gone, lost to the mists of time. I mean, you can't find anything about it. It's not on DVD, obviously. And the only proof of it I even had that exists, there's an IMDb listing for it. And on um, 
YouTube is the opening credits. Somebody posted the opening credits and one episode of the show where they read an issue of Swamp Thing, Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson's Swamp Thing. So we're going to listen to a little clip of Video Comics episode reading uh, uh, Swamp Thing, which is a whole lot of fun. So enjoy that. And when we come back, we will. You got to mention the opening credits when they when they first go in the store and they're panning across the comics. One of the main comics in the view is Firestorm number one. That's right. Yeah, it's all comics from like the late seventies. So Firestorm's there, and he sees again. They have like off-brand books. You see like Commandy. You can go to. You, we'll post the YouTube link on the show notes so you can see the uh, opening credits. It is a lot of fun. But anyway, uh, for the break, we're going to listen to a little bit of Swamp Thing, and when we come back, we will talk about Fury of Firestorm Classic number six. On the bayou, mournful darkness gives way to desolate dawn. A solitary figure stands watching. Who is this misshapen creature? This muck-encrusted mockery of a man? Visions tumble through the dark corridors of his mind. Of Dr. Alec Holland, the man he once was. Of his lovely wife, Dr. Linda Holland, partner in research, co-worker in constructing a bio-restorative formula. A formula so secret, so significant, it could cause men to kill. Visions of the flaming explosion, fiery chemicals seeping through fragile flesh, driving the burning man form into the soothing ooze of the swamp. He has become a hideous monster, reborn from the slimy bogs, hunted, haunted, Doomed forever to be Swamp Thing. Now, if they had only done Firestorm, number one, that would have been the best. I don't know that they didn't. There's no there's no, the IMDb has no listing of the episodes. So there's no guarantee that they didn't do that. They might have. So somebody needs to, like, find these and put them out as a DVD box set or a torrent or something. I got to see these shows again. There's a lot of stuff from Nickelodeon that's just never materialized or on the web anywhere. Oh. Uh, Goblins and Gritty Gogs. There's this thing, I don't even remember what it's called, with I Deny You the Nidus was a line from the show. These things just, there's nothing out there about old Nickelodeon shows. It's weird. Oh. I don't know. I guess because they're all, like, old Canadian stuff that never made it. So, all right. All right, folks, we are on the back end here. We are going to cover, very excited about this, The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, number six, cover dated November 1982. Woo! Now, if you want to buy this thing right off the spinner rack, be sure to set your time machines to uh, August 5th, 1982. August 5th, 1982. Thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. Very helpful resource if you've never visited so this is part two of a story. In the first part, uh, last episode, we talked about how Firestorm was battling 
the Pied Piper and his mind-controlled mob. So the cover here, you get a living myth versus the Fury of Firestorm, the nuclear man. And you've got Firestorm standing there facing the camera, which you can't really... is a perspective shot, really. You're, you're looking from a very low point. You, you can only see these cloven hooves of some bipedal creature. And you can't really... You're looking past that creature at Firestorm. And Firestorm's yelling, either this is a very bad dream or I'm in a really big trouble. I love this cover. It's a very well-staged cover. Yeah, it, it's well put together. I, I love the... Um, Sort of, I love word balloons. It's it's silly, but I absolutely love word balloons on covers. I'm a sucker for them, especially you know if it's something dramatic and a big deal, and uh, it makes me happy. So, now, I will say that Firestorm shoulder pads. Th- this is one of the, the one of the few problems with Pat Rogers' art in this era is Firestorm shoulder pads take on a life of their own. This was the '80s. I guess so. It's true. Firestorm's <laughs> on Wall Street, you know. He's, he's going doing, to a business meeting. He's exactly. doing Coke. He's doing insider trade. I think he's in that Wolf of Wall Street movie. I'm not positive, but you know what I mean? He may be. He may be. Uh, the, only, the only giveaway here is you've, you're looking through, again, you're looking past the cloven hoof creature, and you're like, what could this creature possibly be? Oh, well, there's like a little army of them right behind Firestorm. <laughs> it's like, oh, they're little satyrs. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, great cover uh, and a uh, really good teaser. It, it would make me pick it up off the shelf if I was around on, on August 5th, 1982. Well, so, you were. It's true. I wasn't really buying comics at that point, though. So, anyway, this one, the, open this sucker up. It is called The Pandroikus Plot. Uh, writer, editor, Jerry Conway. Yay. Artist extraordinaire. Yay! Artist extraordinaire, Pat Brodrick and Roden Rodriguez. Uh, letterer is, check it, Adam Kubert. No, he's never going to go anywhere in this business. I, I tell you, that kid, he just disappeared. Colorist, Gene D'Angelo. And editor, emeritus, Len Wein. And this is something, uh, maybe I'll read a little bit later. Well, I don't know, I'll just say it now. This is a big change. As of this issue... Uh, Jerry Conway took over as writer-editor of the book. So uh, Len Wein had been the editor previously, and this is where uh, Jerry begins his own tenure as his own editor, which was kind of a thing at DC at the time. So, all right, if you look at this story at sort of a 10,000-foot level, um, what you've got here is half the story is a standard fare superhero adventure. Um, The other half is drama. Specifically about uh, Ronnie Raymond, teenager, and Martin Stein, middle-aged guy. Ronnie is struggling with sort of high school romancy crush things, and Martin Stein is this middle-aged guy struggling to maintain his career. And so, you know, as a somewhat middle-aged guy myself, it's like I, I kind of so I can't help but relate to Martin Stein's struggles there. So, now working in the background of this is this lonely, forgotten god who's desperately trying to make people believe in him again. So that's your nutshell of what's really going on here in the story, just to give you a picture there. Story is 23 pages long. Nine, There's like nine distinct scenes here. I'm going to kind of cover them as quickly as possible. The, the story opens with Firestorm battling a mentally controlled cl- crowd. Pied Piper is playing the pipes, and uh, the crowd has just gone nuts, and they're tearing Firestorm to shreds. His, his shirt is ripped up. He's desperately struggling to get away from the crowd. Meanwhile, the Pied Piper, uh, the pipes that he's playing are these magical pipes of Pan, and uh, it appears that the pipes have actually taken possession of Pied Piper himself. So even if he wanted to stop playing, he really couldn't. So Firestorm does a clever maneuver. He gets a uh, he sees a wa- fire hydrant, creates a giant fire hose, and goes all riot gear style on the crowd and just hoses them down to get them to sort of uh, break up. He does the same thing to Pied Piper and is able to then uh, knock Pied Piper 
off the building through it. Uh, I guess what do you call that? A uh, it's not, is it a greenhouse? I guess it's sort of a greenhouse yeah. of sorts, and knocks him in there. There's your uh, who do you? Is it, you say it's Murphy Anderson that does the pointed boots? Yeah, Murphy Anderson does the little <laughs> yeah. So you get like a nice little tribute to Murphy Anderson there, where um, Pipe Piper is is heads down, feet up in a bush, and his little pointed <laughs> shoes are sticking out. That's the first thing I thought it was. I think he's like the one character that it's appropriate for. <laughs> So Firestorm then uh, flies into the into the hothouse here to go check on the rain. Riley, uh, his, his sort of uh, pseudo love interest, flies in there and uh, to check on the senator. Ends up making out with Lorraine right in front of her dad, <laughs> Senator Riley. So Dad's not real happy there because he's already already been wrapped up in a carpet by Pied Piper. It's not really his day. So th- there's some fun alliteration here. I got to read this. Um, somehow your pop got a hold of some special pipes. Pipes the Piper. Picked to purloin, and uh, I just couldn't help but think of the penguin and Jack Dower. How happy that that scene would make him! So that was for you, Jack. That was that was your long distance dedication, Jack. So uh, the 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 pan pipes magically disappear. So now Pied Piper is has been arrested, but his magical pipes have vanished. So then, uh, and and the crowd returns to normal to normal. Ronnie and the professor split up, and then you get a nice little scene of Ronnie and the professor just hanging out, having a conversation. It's a it's a Ronnie professor bromance because the situation is in the last episode Ronnie transformed to Firestorm while he was in that shower at school. So as they split, we don't have to see it thankfully, but Ronnie's got to be naked, covered in soap bubbles. So professor loans him some clothes. Thankfully, they're about the same size, and they hang around and just have a talk. And then professor starts giving Ronnie advice uh, on his love life. And Ronnie's bummed out because of uh, him and his girl, Doreen, who, by the way, it's a new year, okay? So I'm going to give Doreen another chance. We're going we're gonna to start a little fresh here. Doreen is going to, until she does her first bitchy thing, she's going to get a pass from me. Because what happened here, Ronnie calls her, says he misses her. She says she misses him too. It's a very reasoned argument or reasoned discussion. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give her an issue or two to see if I start hating her again. That's very nice of you. Uh, well, you know, turn over a new leaf. Now, Ronnie, on the other hand, is being a bit, a bit of a douche in that he just made out with Lorraine. And then he's feeling sorry for himself because he has not with uh, Doreen anymore. It's like, oh, come on, man. That's not cool. Then you get this really bizarre scene in a holding cell. It's <laughs> <This is> horrifying. <laughs> well, wait. Are you talking about what the security guard says or what's happened to Pied Piper? Uh Little both. Okay. Well, this is, the security guard is reading uh, comic books, and he's there's a whole meta scene in here. I'm going to read it real quick. He goes, "These comics give me a laugh. Elves and aardvarks, talking ducks, hoo ha! What really kills me are these dumb reviews in the fanzines. You think those bozos are talking about Moby Dicker? Oh, what's that? So I mean, literally, Jerry Conway is basically flipping the bird of the fanzines, saying, "Hey." This comic is just for fun. Back off, man. And uh, it's it's funny. It's meta. And it also is sort of his way of standing up for Firestorm just being a fun comic rather than being something deep. Well, I, li- so I, I like also that. like the idea that in a DC comic, they're plugging a comic book by another company. They're plugging a few. I would assume that's ElfQuest and Cerebus. That they're pr- and, um, well, but the and book a- that he's reading in that panel, you see the logo, part of it, is that's Destroyer Duck by Jack Kirby, and, which was published by Eclipse Comics. And you can see Eclipse's logo there on the back cover. See, I recognize the Eclipse logo. I did not pick up the yeah, Destroyer, Destroyer, Destroyer Duck. Destroyer I, Duck, yeah. uh, I assume they're talking about Howard. That makes more sense that they wouldn't talk about Marvel. Okay. Oh, interesting. Okay. Uh, so then the security guard gets up to check, and he finds out that... Um, 
Pipe Piper in the cell has been transformed. <laughs> He's transforming into uh, to a satyr. His legs have become <laughs> this is so awful. <laughs> well, what? Explain. It's just so creepy and off-putting and weird and. The way Broderick does the lighting is very horror movie uh, The lighting so, is what yeah. gets me. I love the lighting in that scene. It's just a very, it's just, it's just, and you know, the idea of like being a full grown person and then having like horse hooves for legs. It's just very, it's just an upsetting image. It is. It, well, it's, it's a full page splash. And as, as Rob said, there's a lot of lighting. It's very dramatic. You're looking through the cell bars and poor Pied Piper, his hair is like, his, his, his hair is seems like it's grown. It's much thicker, and it's standing up on edge. And it's like ah, you know, it's yeah. sort of you know, if it was a, if it was a TV series, you'd get to da, 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 and yep. go to commercial. Yep. You know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, anyway, then you cut back and you get Martin Stein. This is where some of the stuff I talked about him struggling to keep his job. You get Martin Stein. You see a lot of his work stress. You meet Martin Stein's boss, who uh, whose name is I love this Quentin Quayle. Uh, you know, two Q names, which is just, whole, ugh, but you get the alliteration of the double letters, which is always great. You know, um, Jerry Conway is a sucker for doing alliteration. Doreen Day, Ronnie Raymond, Quentin Quayle. Well, what? I mean, he was just following in the tradition, though. Well, right. I mean, okay. following in. The, yeah, absolutely. I'm okay. sorry. I, I wasn't trying to, like, imply that he created the idea. No, All no, right. no, I'm he, sorry. It, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. But he did it out of fun. Yes, he, he didn't did, do yes. it because, oh, well, that's what I'm supposed to do. He did it in Firestorm specifically to celebrate that old trope. Right, right, right. Sorry. I should have been more specific. So, and here, um, in the interest, again, of a new year, uh, Harry Carew, uh, formerly known as the official D-bag of this book, uh, actually tries to do something nice. He tries to return to Stein this uh, recording he'd stolen a couple uh, issues ago. So, you know, I think I'm going to have to give Harry a pass for a little while, too. So Professor Stein sees in the newspaper that something's happened to Pied Piper, and he runs off. Next, Zodak shows up, and he's very intent on saving someone. And a few pages later, Superman swoops in and stops Skeletor from combining the two twin power swords. I'm not entirely sure how this piece relates to what's going on in New York, but thank goodness Eternia has been saved, and He-Man and Superman are pals. It was so nice for Paul Kupperberg to come in and fill in for Jerry in the middle of the book, too. If well, you know, for 14 pages, that was pretty cool of him. So, um, then we get uh, we cut back to the high school, and Ronnie, oddly enough, we Ronnie, uh, Cliff, and Doreen are all in summer school together. <laughs> it's just kind of funny. So they're all in summer school together, and there's uh, some high school antics. You know, Cliff's making it difficult for Ronnie. The thing I like about this though is Ronnie's kicked out of class just in time to transform, and there is a gorgeous panel here on page 14 where Ronnie is all in shadow. He's backlit. And he's, he's in a hugely dramatic pose. His books are scattering away from him. And he's like, Professor, not now! And he's transforming into Firestorm. I just really like that panel. If I was one to get off my butt and do random panels of the day like they do over in that Aquaman site, I'd probably put one of those up. But I'm a little lazy. So it's a nice one. Get nothing from Rob on that. No, though. I'm just letting All it right. go. <laughs> I'm giving you a pass. <laughs> there we go. It's a new year. So, uh, I'm trying. This, this recap's a lot longer than it should be. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm really giving guys play-by-play. I didn't mean to. I'm just excited about it. So the professor calls for the merger, so Ronnie disappears from where he is and reappears where the professor is. They go visit the Pied Piper. You get a flashback, and Pat Project is so creative that there are no rounded corners. Uh, it's more like bubbles and Very wind. Very nice. So you, uh, you get this great scene of the Pied Piper. He's wearing a hat, which tells you if it's the 80s and he's a hat and a, wearing a hat, he must be in Europe. So... <laughs> 
It's very Indiana Jones. So Firestorm finds out the origin on the pipes. They figure out that um, the, that someone has stolen the pipes, and they're back on the Hermes, the ship that this whole thing started from. So uh, and and the pipes were like a drug. The Pied Piper had to have them. They fly out of the Hermes, and the turns out the crew had been transformed into satyrs. They fi- they meet actually uh, who they think is Pandroikus, but it turns out he's actually the god. Pan, the, the the god from days of old, who's sort of been forgotten and no one worships him anymore. His plan is to transform as many people as he can into Pan-like satyrs to help repopulate his his believers. It's a, it's an interesting idea. In fact, there's a whole bunch of exposition here um, on page 21. I, I, again, I'm I, I'm dragging this out, I suppose, but I'm going to read this real quick because I just I think. This is a good example of a lot of exposition you don't get nowadays, but you did back then. It's this full-page shot of Firestorm fighting against all these satyrs. It says, born on wings of song, images assail his mind. He sees Pan, last of the gods, whose earthly appetites allowed him to survive when the more mystical beings did not. For the world, however, disbelieving of the more noble virtues, will always welcome a god of lust. But Pan was lonely, and in the fullness of time, he conceived a plot to assuage his loneliness. And it goes on talking about the plot, but I mean, it's just, the language is beautiful. You know, I, and I don't feel like I get that in a lot of modern day comics. It's I liked it. Um, it's a great it's, image. The the, the 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 full page is a nightmarish image. Very yeah. well done. Again, really nice job on the lighting by by Broderick. Yes. Um, I forgot to mention. There's a really funny line here where Firestorm he's going straight to the ship. Professor Stein's kind of saying, you know, maybe that's not the best way. And Firestorm gets blasted by physical force of sound, this music. It's knocked in the water. So the professor says, this time, let's try a less cocky approach, shall we? <laughs> I love the professor's snarkiness. So, again, you get uh, Pan, who is a lonely god and wants to take over. Firestorm decides, ah, the way to take him out is to get rid of the pipes. He does that. Well, it's magic. Sorry, the pipes come right back. Then Firestorm decides to build a doghouse around um, around Pan, and it gets knocked in the ocean, and apparently that's the end of Pan. Because the, the little box that he's locked Pan in goes to the bottom of the ocean, and everyone wakes up, the effects have worn off, and Pan apparently is trapped now at the bottom of the ocean. And Firestorm is feeling a little sad, saying that uh, he can't help but think how lonely he is, and if it's, a toss, if it's ever a toss-up between being a god or a man, Professor, I'll pick being a man any time. Which is a sort of foreshadowing because um, about eighty issues from here, uh, he will sort of become a god. So, you know, they're planning ahead for that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, sure. So, um, so what do you think of the issue? Well, I mean, I liked it quite a bit. I mean, the, the number one thing I think about reading, have been reading all these now, is that uh, this, at least the first, you know, six months here of Firestorm is very consistent. Jerry Conway is very, very consistent. Every issue is of a consistent quality. I feel like they all fit as a piece. I really feel like Jerry was clearly sort of sinking his teeth into this, as was Broderick. Um, on the art front, I mean, this, I think Broderick did a really extraordinary job here because he gives a lot of these panels a slightly uh, horror movie feel, I mean, with yeah. the shadowing. And that, that fits because of this, there is a hor- horrific element to this idea of people being transformed into these sort of half-animal people. It's... Not to, like, overplay it, but it's, you know, it's got touch of, like, an island of Dr. Moreau slash freaks kind of thing of people's bodies being transformed into into other kinds of creatures, which is, you know, creepy and weird. And that's trying to fit in with a character, Firestorm, which is very bright and up, upbeat and cheery. And But, it you know, it works well. You know, I mean, Broderick 
pulls it off. So, I mean, it's it. I think these guys, Conway and Broderick, and as we mentioned in the previous episode, Rodden and Rodriguez, um, we're all really filing on all cylinders with these with these early issues. And I'm sort of curious to see how long we can go until we hit one that I feel is like like a dud. And I'm not even saying mm. that I'm not saying that we will or, or we you know whatever. I mean, I think it's inevitable. Um, but so far, like I just think these are all really consistent. And we've mentioned again, we've also mentioned this before that this book has never been collected. This, yeah. this these would read extraordinarily well collected. Because they are all, to me, of a very consistent quality. And I think if you put these in one book, it would, they would read even better because there's no, like I said, there's no duds here. They're all just flying along really, really well. Well, um, one of DC's PR guys, his name's uh, Alex Segura. Alex Segura, he, yeah. Yeah, he actually tweeted not too long ago, uh, this month, uh, the cover of Fury Firestorm number one. Just basically saying, what a great classic cover, great comic. And I was just like, is he teasing us? Is he hinting? Or is he just like it? I don't know. Uh, I, th- ah! I, I think he's teasing. <laughs> ah! It would be so nice. And, um, in fact, uh, Pat Broderick wrote recently, uh, wrote me just talking about it on the site and just basically was talking about he, about this series not being collected. And, uh, he sort of, he was sort of indicating he think there's one person at DC that's stopping it from happening. But, uh, it just, it would make so much more sense. I mean, they did the collection of the Al Milgram issues. But the fact is, this is the series that sold the banner numbers. Yes, this was one of DC's best-selling books. So it just seems like it would be logical. So a few other things here. Let's see. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of the fast resolution, where I I jokingly called it a doghouse that he built around uh, around Pan. But, I mean, he literally just throws up this house around Pan. It falls off the ship, and the adventure's over. It all happens in the last two pages in, in just a matter of a couple panels. And... I don't know. I, I, I felt like the ending, maybe they just ran out of pages, or I'm not sure what caused that to happen that way, but I did feel the, that particular ending was a little less satisfying than I was hoping for. That was probably my only negative comment on the whole issue, though. Absolutely loved it. By the way, there's an ad in here. I forgot to mention this. I should have. Um, there's a Dungeons & Dragons ad in here. I don't know if it's in the version you're looking at, Rob, or not. No. But it's, uh, you, know, you, you remember the old Dungeons & Dragons ads? Oh, sure. Yeah. You know who drew a lot of those, right? Uh, no. A lot of people don't. Bill Willingham, the man who would go oh, on to really? write fables. Oh, the man who go on to write fables. Huh. And I'm pretty sure this is one of the ones he drew, so that's pretty cool. So, always fun to say that. And something, oh, 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 check this out. The letters page? Mm-hmm. Letters page, you've got a letter in here. Um, it says, okay, Dear Firestormers, after reading uh, Fury of Firestorm number three, I must say that I ha- I'm happy not only to see Killer Frost, but also to see a bit of reality in the book. Sure. Uh, sure, I love the happy-go-lucky attitude of the hot-headed hero, but what I'm thriving for is reality. So you can probably guess I like Ronnie Raymond to have problems. But I must warn you of the dreaded disease the writers of the competitions books have caught. They've given a certain Peter Parker too many problems. Poor old Petey's life is overrun with them. Nothing ever goes right for him. Please don't catch this disease. I'm sure your comic will be a success. <laughs> Signed, Ross Pearsall which is the same Ross Pearsall who runs the site uh, that started off as... Brave and the Bull, the Lost Issues, which became two for two and one. Oh wow! Lost okay, and Super now Team is, Family now, right? Yeah, Super Team Family. I think the site's just called the Lost Issues now. But anyway, yeah, you go out there and, and find it. There's links off Firestorm Fan for it. Um, he does. He creates fake comic book covers every day, and it's usually teaming up a Marvel and a DC, or at least two different companies' characters and a team up that could never happen. But they're loads of fun. 
there's been a lot of different Firestorm ones. I've seen Firestorm with Iron Man and Spider-Man and, uh, you know, Human Torch and a bunch of different folks. And I, I checked with Ross. I'm like, is this, is this you? And he's like, oh, yeah, that's me. He's been in, he, he got published a couple different times in Firestorm. So I think that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah, I love seeing those. You feel like you were, got to know these people before you actually knew them. Yeah, exactly. So, good stuff. Well, fun issue overall. Really pleased with it. Um, God, just these early issues are so exciting. And, and then, as you nailed it, the Pat Broderick energy with Rodan Rodriguez and Jerry Conway, it's just, it's magical. And, you know, I, I love this format of just doing two-issue story arcs. It, it, they're, just, they're chunky, and it's enough to sort of, like, chew on for a little bit because you got to wait the next month to read the next issue. But it's not a drug-out drug six-issue thing. So right. I really like, you know, how they've done this thing where the two issues, two issues. Now, next issue breaks the, breaks the cycle. Next issue is a one-off. So it'll be interesting to see if that uh, – now it's a good one. So I, I know it's a good one. You, you know who appears number seven, right? It must be the old Doreen Day issue. Oh, how – What are you growing up about? That, that, would be, that would be wonderful. Uh, Doreen Day will be featured prominently coming up because uh, the hyena will be back. So we'll have to see if Doreen can hold out as a character that I can pa- – can, uh, is palatable. But no, next issue is, according to the next issue box, Plastique. Ah, okay. All right. Everyone lo- Everyone remembers number seven because she uh, – well, you'll find out. Okay. So, folks, uh, that is going to do it, I think, for the Fire and Water podcast. Is that right? Yeah, well, this was uh, – we were like the smile time police hour here this episode. We were just happy about everything. Well, that's what happens when you get two great comics. <laughs> I mean, come on. Nothing to complain about here, man. <laughs> so, uh, folks, thank you for listening to the Fire and Water Podcast. You can find Rob over at AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle, Aquaman Shrine. You can find me at FirestormFan.com. You can find me on social media under the same handle, FirestormFan, on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr. And Tom, tell them where blah, 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 blah. tell them where they can find us on Tumblr, please. Firewaterpodcast.tumblr.com, and you can email us at firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Fantastic, folks. Well, please uh, write in. Tell us your thoughts on these issues. We'd love to hear them, and we will share them on an upcoming show. we got a got a listener feedback episode in the works coming up soon, so we'll be able to talk about all the different things you guys have been saying. And uh, we want to add your feedback from this one. So please reach out to us, and until then, catch uh, the <laughs> Are we changing the catchphrase, Shag? Yeah, it's a that. new year. So, nah, never mind. We'll just keep the old one. Yeah, I was thinking about Never mind. Fan the flame and ride the wave, folks. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soaking down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be Catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair Stand for truth and justice In sea, on land, in air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super pair Aquaman and Firestorm Super friends forever Yeah! Well, everything's finally back to normal and not a moment too soon. Couldn't leave well enough alone, could you, Felix? This is all your fault, you greedy bird. You'll have plenty of time to discuss the errors of your ways once you're sharing your old jail cell. Not again! Cut!